from the National Society of Genetic Counselors, this is the NSGC podcast series. Exploring stories of leading voices and best practices in genetic counseling. Now to your hosts, Kalita Leaquat and Kate Wilson. Hello, and welcome to the first ever episode of the NSGC podcast series. I am your host, Kalita Leaquat. So throughout this podcast series, my co-host Kate Wilson and I are going to be sitting down with experts in our field and explore leading voices and best practices in genetic counseling. Our goal with the series is to provide you, the NSGC membership, with an easy, on-the-go access to educational and professional resources to match our busy lives. We can't wait to share this series with you. So for the inaugural podcast, we are joined by Kate, who sat down with three of NSGC's most liked and retweeted members to learn all about GCs and social media. So we'll hear from members like Scott Weissman. Yeah, I leave the op-ed stuff to my head and not my fingers. Jessica Greenwood. I think that the most important thing is that you stay authentic. And Dina Goldberg. We just need to accept the fact that our self-promotion is actually vital to our success. Take it away, Kate. Thanks, Kalita. I'm Kate Wilson, and I recently had the pleasure of sitting down with Scott Weisman, Jessica Greenwood, and Dina Goldberg to discuss their personal experience with social media and hear from them the best way for us GCs to get started, to share our message, and to contribute positively to the genetic counseling conversation. First up, I sat down with Scott Weisman, a genetic counselor at Genome Medical and a founder of Chicago Genetic Consultants, LLC. Scott writes blog posts related to genetic counseling, is active on social media platforms such as Twitter, and is a member of the NSGC Gene Pool. You can find him at chicagogenetics.com. So hi, Scott. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Kate. Thanks very much for inviting me to chat with you. Well, thank you for joining us. I wanted to start this conversation off by learning a little bit more about your presence on the internet and social media. So if you could tell us a little bit more about um, what your involvement is like and why you decided to expand into this area. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I should start off by saying I'm in the 40 plus age range. So I wasn't really a big social media user uh, prior to starting my, my practice uh, in 2016. I was, uh, I was on Twitter, uh, but was more of a Twitter voyeur than actually um, engaged in actually posting stuff and communicating with people. But when I created my, my business in 2016, I thought it was really important to make sure that I got out there and had a social media so people knew um, what I was doing and how to get a hold of me. So I decided to make a separate Twitter account for my business as well as get on Facebook. And uh, those are the two main media platforms that, um, that I use um, in terms of my social media presence. And so what is your goal ultimately with having the Twitter platform and Facebook, you know, as well as your website, you mentioned your business. How has that translated from just business to your interaction with your audience on those platforms? So what I can say is that for Twitter, it's really been more a way for me to engage with genetic counseling colleagues, 
Uh, I really stay up on advances in our profession uh, through Twitter. I get a lot of research articles, new publications through Twitter. um, And just I have found it really more of a way to build a professional presence. And Facebook has really been more of a... um, more of a platform for, for driving, I think, patients where individuals have found me, have messaged me questions, or um, there's different, um, I guess, rooms in Facebook that relate to genetics or people are looking for a genetic counselor and, and people have referred my services through that platform. So they end up really getting used for, for two different um, purposes, even though I do, um, I do kind of post things in the same way on both, on both platforms. How, I guess, do you define success or what is your goal um, when you're reaching various audiences on these platforms? How do you know that you are engaging them or that they are responding to your presence? Initially, I thought that with both platforms that I'd really be able to potentially uh, drive awareness and patience to my my office for for counseling, I will say that Twitter, at least in in, in my experience, is really there's been minimal uh, patient interaction. It's been more like I said with colleagues as well as advocates. Uh, so what Twitter has done is it's kind of I guess made again professionals aware of my practice. Uh, it's allowed me to actually do I think more. Um, more media opportunities with NSGC, like the NSGC gene pool and, and this, uh, this podcast because of that, that presence with, with Facebook, it's like I said, it's really, it's the success is really driven by, I think the, the handful of patients that come through, through that direction. Um, I will say it's, it's definitely not a lot and I tend to get more, questions about conditions from people kind of, you know, all over the country and then potentially end up referring colleagues to, uh, referring patients to other, other colleagues. So I think the success for Facebook for me is just when I get those interactions with patients and are able to either see them or connect them to see someone who can help them with whatever their needs are. I think a challenge for genetic counselors is we come from a clinical background. We're used to being in depth as the patient needs to be really getting into education. But social media sometimes doesn't always lend itself to those more detailed conversations. So how do you approach answering their questions, but then also working with them to get them the information that they need? I generally treat it almost like a a patient calling the office. So usually I will um, engage the patient or the, the, I shouldn't say the patient, the individual, and will kind of broadly answer some of their, the questions they may have. And when I find that the conversation is really getting more detailed, more specific questions about their own personal or family history, that's when I'll kind of, you know, interrupt the conversation and say, hey, look, these are really great questions that you're asking. I really feel like that you would benefit from sitting down and talking with somebody. I don't think we, I can really kind of get the full, the full help that you need through this, this chat that we're having. And, you know, can I help you find somebody nearby or, you know, if it's, you know, a state that I'm licensed in, can, you know, do you have an interest in setting up a, a more formal consultation to discuss this matter further? And I think that all of us kind of do that when we end up talking to a patient on the phone is kind of quickly assess what's going on and try and triage, okay, can I just answer a few questions and send the patient on their way? Or should they actually end up coming in to see us for more of a sit-down conversation? 
Are there other challenges um, that you face in, um, you know, not just working with patients, but also with colleagues um, and engaging with um, others on social media? Yeah, I think the, I mean, for me personally, um, you know, I, I, everyone's got opinions on things and I, I'm a person that generally has strong opinions, uh, but I really try to not have my posts be very opinion based and have them be more content focused. Um, I just, I, I personally, when I see all these posts where somebody is overly supportive of one thing or something else in one direction or the other, uh, sometimes I feel like that can, it rubs me the wrong way. It may rub other people the wrong way. So I try to keep uh, most of my content very, um, very general, very non-biased. I'm not necessarily trying to stoke massive discussions or getting into any kind of Twitter wars or social media wars with anybody. Just trying to, like I said, stay in contact with people and really just um, educate people about what's going on in our profession. So you, you tend to focus on just the facts and not adding in necessarily outside opinions or influences. Yeah, I leave the op-ed stuff to my head and not my fingers and typing it in. So, yeah. <laughs> well, and that sounds like a good tip and something for people to think about. Are there any other um, tips or considerations that genetic counselors who are either new to social media or new to it in a professional sense should think about? I think one of the other things that I've learned doing this that I was definitely guilty of in the beginning is I would see a, a, a tweet um, and I'd read the tweet and not necessarily the article that it was linked to. And I would kind of retweet something and then go back and later check that out and be like, oh man, I really wish I wouldn't have retweeted this. And although you can kind of delete some of these things, I've really taken more um, time to make sure that before I retweet or, or post anything, I've really read the the article through just to make sure that it is kind of content that I would want associated with, you know, me, my, my business, um, before sending something out there. And finally, to wrap things up, are there any tricks or tips that you can give for genetic counselors who are looking to get more involved in some of these social media platforms, anything that they can do to either get started or, uh, if it's something that they're already utilizing a way that they could expand their reach? I think initially it's it's can be hard to get followers on on Twitter. I mean, you, you create an account and you, you know you, you have to really let people know that you're there. Um, so there there may be ways I think that we could think about not only as an individual but maybe as a a profession to help each other boost our our followers. So perhaps um, things that we could think about would be. Um, you know, if you are a member of, of the Cancer SIG, you know, maybe the Cancer SIG uh, puts together a list of Twitter handles for people that are in the SIG. So you know that you want to put together a, um, uh, a list of people um, that to follow. That would be one opportunity. And I think Erica Ramos has put one together for NSGC. So being a, potentially aware of, of some of these things that people have already put together or things that we could consider putting together uh, for, for the future. Well, and I think that that's very helpful and something that maybe people that are newer may not realize uh, some of the groups that have been put in place. Also, I know that there are uh, a few different hashtags that are generally used when you're trying to you know, reach um, the same core group of people um, when you're posting. 
Correct. And that's actually a great point that I forgot about. So the hashtags, like the hashtag, um, there's the GC chat, there's NSGC, NSGC gene pool. Uh, but yeah, following these different hashtags that again, will get you connected with other individuals. Well, before we finish up, is there anything else um, that you wanted to uh, say or any other um, tips that you have um, for the genetic counseling community? Nothing else I wanted to share. Just wanted to thank you, Kate, and NSGC for the opportunity to, to chat with you on this inaugural podcast. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm excited to, to be able to partake. Well, thank you so much. Want to keep up with Scott? Follow at Chicago Genetics on Twitter to stay in touch. Next up, I speak with Jessica Greenwood, a genetic counselor who has her own consulting company, JPHG Consulting, and is a co-founder at Three Social Media Strategists, where she offers social media services to health organizations. Jessica is a blogger and is certified in digital health communication. Thank you for being here today, Jessica. My pleasure. So first off, I wanted you to tell me a little bit more about your work um, with healthcare social media and what you've been doing as a digital health strategist. What is your goal in doing this work? Part of the work that I do is really helping healthcare organizations translate their messages of health to their target audiences in a way that takes into consideration health literacy and patient needs and privacy um, and even really education and, and kind of what are those core concepts. Um, with three social media strategists, we do that specifically for social media. Um, so that could be anything from helping a, an individual provider figure out what social media platform to be on, all the way up to a full digital media strategy for a healthcare organization or a direct-to-consumer lab. Um, that even includes thinking about how they might translate some of their education materials into a digital medium that is really appropriate for their target audience. So it sounds like you do a lot of work on the professional level and engaging with other companies and helping them uh, utilize social media effectively. Um, is that based on training as well as some of your personal interactions with social media? Absolutely. So um, you mentioned earlier that I was a blogger, um, and I, I take that as a compliment. I, I feel like that's like calling me a runner. Um, it's a bit of an overshoot. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that with my blog, what I've tried to do is to explain my own personal experiences um, with pregnancy or with, um, you know, kind of any of my personal healthcare dilemmas. Um, in a way that is honest and um, is effective and sort of takes into consideration the things that I learned about being on the patient side in clinic. And what I do in my professional life is sort of switch that lens a little bit. And so I think about if I was a company, how might I engage with the me that's a patient? In thinking about providing that patient perspective, how do you know that you've been successful at getting that patient perspective across? Success is, is, can be defined in many different ways. It can certainly be defined by analytics, 
But I think often, as is the case with uh, genetic counseling in general, um, it's much more nuanced. And I, I'm not sure that we really know how successful we're being at this moment. I think it's an evolving process. Um, but I think that one thing we know for sure is that genetic counselors need to be part of the conversation. And in many cases, they need to be the ones facilitating the conversation online. Um, and without being in that social media world, we won't have the opportunity to do that. So it sounds like one of the most important reasons to be involved uh, with media as a genetic counselor is to help direct the conversation, get involved in the conversation, um, and also be that patient perspective. Absolutely. I also think it's um, important to help companies think about how they deliver information. And information includes results to patients and what patients now have the ability to do with that or those results. And I think it's also helpful for us as genetic counselors to be working with our patients to help them understand that when they put information, health-related information about themselves on social media, that there's the potential for there to be consequences to that. And that, you know, they really want to think about the degree of information they share on social media um, in, in order to make sure that they're kind of protecting their own privacy, uh, but also to, to make sure that they're, um, that's not something that they potentially might regret later down the road. I think that that's a, that's a good and a needed conversation. Um, mm -hmm. For those genetic counselors that are interested in getting more involved in these types of conversations with their patients, as well as getting more involved in social media, what are ways that they can either um, broaden their involvement or just start off if it's not something they've thought about before? Right. So, you know, I mean, I think for those that are that are working in a clinical setting, you know, the first question is really, what is the social media policy of the organization that you're working with and who manages that? You know, I think that organizations are, are typically pretty risk averse at um, individuals within their organization interfacing directly with patients on social media. But I do think there's a lot of opportunities for things like blog writing um, or for helping the marketing department craft responses to patients, um, which may sound, you know, kind of laborious at times, but I think particularly in genetics could be pretty crucial um, and may just not be something that the marketing department would have thought to, to engage the genetic counseling department about. When you first started in this area um, or in this space and building out, you know, blog, website, whether it's um, Facebook, Twitter, other social media platforms, what are some resources or where can people go um, to find more information or to help build their presence? Yeah, this is where social media stalking is actually a good thing. <laughs> You know, honestly, sometimes the easiest way to learn on social media is truly to model someone else. Um, I think that the most important thing is that you stay authentic. Um, it seems odd that in a completely digital medium, you can come across as fake, but it's actually fairly easy to do. Definitely uh, look at social media policies for, for different organizations and, you know, even think about developing your own, uh, which can be as simple as saying, okay, I'm going to engage on, you know, Twitter and I'm going to start a blog and they're going to be on these two platforms and I'm only going to use Twitter for genetic counseling related stuff, but my blog can be about anything. Um, you know, and then kind of stick to that as a model. Um, 
I think that there's a lot of trial and error in this. So giving your, you know, being patient to understand that um, it takes a while to get followers. It takes a while to get a community that is interested in what you're saying and to figure out what that community wants and needs. Um, so kind of try, evaluate, refine what you're doing. When working with these different social media platforms, have you ever encountered any sort of consequences or negative feedback? I think that there are some consequences to opening up the genetics world in the social media space, but I don't know that they're insurmountable. I think we just have to be um, careful and we have to be considerate and understand that patients respond on social media in an instant. Um, they respond or they post when they are scared, when they are nervous, when they are angry, when they don't like their results. Um, and all of those are, are sort of not great spaces to put something out in a public medium that might be permanent. Um, but it's, it's the same situation that we have in, in clinic. It just happens to be much more um, uh, visible. Well, that was very helpful. Um, before we wrap up the conversation, are there anything, is there anything else that you would like to share with the genetic counselors listening? Any other tips or tricks? The, the best thing that a genetic counselor can do to get involved in social media is to um, draw up from, from their patient experience what that interaction was like. Um, and to, if they're, if they're planning to actually engage on social media at all as a, as a professional, to reflect the same skills that they use in clinic on social media. So, um, you know, reflecting the patient experience, validating the patient experience, being a voice and an advocate for helping patients get accurate and timely information um, in a way that they can understand, um, and being cognizant that, you know, this is an ever-changing space, and so them staying a part of the conversation in a professional and productive way is actually critical to making sure that what ultimately happens in the communication between patient and provider or patient and organization on social media um, is kind of directed by that skill set that you know we all learned in school and that hopefully we all employ in the clinical setting as well. Well, thank you, Jessica, for taking time to talk with us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for your interest, Kate. It's a great topic. Interested in contacting Jessica? She can be reached via email at inquire at jessicaphg.com. Finally, I sat down with Dina Goldberg, or Dina DNA, as some of you might know her. Dina has created a website, dinadna.com, that features a blog, comic series, and infographics to increase awareness of genetic services. So with that, hi, Dina. How are you doing today? Hi, good. Thank you. How are you? Good. Thank you for joining us. I thought I would open up the conversation um, by having you tell us a little bit more about your presence on the internet and social media. Um, why did you want to expand into this area and what is your goal with your website and some of the other projects that you've been working on? Sure, so um, 
kind of starting from the very beginning. Um, I, when I was a graduate student at UC Irvine, I realized that no one around me outside of my program knew what genetic counseling was. Um, and that really bothered me. And I was trying to figure out uh, ways that I could maybe one day at a broad level uh, increase the awareness. And so basically I started uh, out as a simple just WordPress blog and created cartoons with what used to be bit strips. Um, and then for my thesis project, I decided I wanted to survey the general public and a few different communities to figure out what their existing awareness was. Um, and so I created an Indiegogo campaign to raise the funding for that. And um, that's kind of where the online and social media kind of came in um, because I had created a Twitter account to tweet at conferences and used that to spread my Indiegogo campaign. And I was able to raise um, $3,000 just to fund my, my um, thesis from genetic counselors I'd never met before and, and just strangers wow. online. Yeah, yeah. So it was, that was really cool. And that's like, I think that's where I realized that the social media thing is actually really great. And it's a great tool that um, anybody can use. And there's a lot of scientists in other fields using social media. So uh, that's kind of where I started. And it really got me um, going with all this. So, um, so it's been a few years since then, and, and I've expanded to not, uh, no longer WordPress, but I created my own website and I've decided to brand myself and, uh, I'm now working on launching my YouTube channel. So it'll be the first genetic counselor YouTube channel. Well, so tell me a little bit more about the, the YouTube channel. I realized that YouTube is a huge community with a really, really large following and, and a large audience. And so I felt like I'm in this unique position to be able to create a fun YouTube channel, but also walk people through some of these at-home genetic tests and kind of dispel any misconceptions um, and talk about that. So that's what I'm planning on doing is actually walking through at-home genetic tests and kind of helping people in, in by video um, kind of figure out what they need and what they want from the testing. How do you either, you know, define your, your goals or what you want to accomplish for some of these um, various offerings or how are you able to say, this endeavor was successful in social media? What I feel is successful is when somebody finds me at a conference or they email me or um, someone has seen my work. So something that I've created and put out there or I get a retweet. Um, just basically helping reinforce why I'm doing this and showing me that somebody has seen uh, the whatever I've put effort into creating. So for now, my success is it's not necessarily numbers, but it's just how much interaction with my content that I can see is happening. Um, how are you able to define um, success or I guess measure that success when um, you're working on educating the lay public or patients? Are they still um, people that follow you on social media or that connect to you through social media? Yeah, yeah, that's the other thing. I also, I've had, a, I get a lot of patients or potential patients who maybe haven't heard of genetic counseling, uh, who will come across something, one of my platforms and ask me some personal question, you know, about their family. And I always direct them to the find a genetic counselor tool. Um, and so I think as I get more 
more patients or potential patients that are contacting me. That also helps me um, know that I'm successful in kind of penetrating this barrier of, of awareness with the general public. Yeah, are there some other reasons that we as genetic counselors should be more present on social media? And, and if so, you know, how, what's the best way to get involved or to, to find out more about it? This is something that I'm really passionate about is that if, as a genetic counselor, as a field, that if we don't step up and contribute to the media, then someone else will. And there's a lot of examples online of misinformation by people who are not trained in genetics. Um, companies that open up and market themselves as being able to tell you something that they can't. And so I think that we definitely need, they're getting exposure, but genetic counselors aren't necessarily getting exposure or genetics professionals. And I think part of it is that as a field, we tend to be more reserved and we're not necessarily self-promoting as individuals um, because I think that's just part of the genetic counselor personality. But what I've found is that we just need to accept the fact that our self-promotion is actually vital to our success. And that uh, in order to help with all the misinformation that's out there, we need to be doing some of that self-promotion and we need to get ourselves in the spotlight. And so social media is the best way to do it no matter what uh, platform you're using. Were there some challenges that you faced starting uh, in social media or expanding into some of these areas or current challenges that you're facing now? Yeah, I think that it's, um, it's funny because it hasn't been done before. I, I haven't been able to find any examples where there's somebody that is um, talking about something so complicated and important, but in a more light way to make it more digestible. Um, so I think that what the biggest challenge I face is just that I don't feel like there's um, someone before me who's really been a self-promoter and um, and kind of is okay being part of this this uh, almost I kind of like to think of it as the inter entertainment industry that um, that it's just such a, a contrast in personality to a genetic counselor. So uh, I think that just having to get over that barrier. Well, and then in thinking in that vein, are there other types of tips um, or tricks that you have for other genetic counselors who would like to get more involved with social media? Yes. Yeah, so my first, I have a few good, good pieces of advice. Uh, my first is just to do it and not overthink it or worry about being judged. I think that's the biggest barrier for us as genetic counselors. Um, and don't just don't think about anything negative that might be coming in, just just do it. Um, and then the other thing is that no one has done this before you. So this is pretty new to our profession. And so again, just do it, don't think about it. Um, and we really have the opportunity to pave the way by doing this. And then another tip that I like, I like to do and, and kind of in terms of any media um, and, and getting any coverage is to just submit to whatever it is, local news, BuzzFeed, submit any any online open source um, ways that you can get out there. Just submit Reddit. There's a lot of places where anybody can submit. And I think the more that we submit content as genetic counselors, the more content will be out there and the more it will get seen. So I think that um, there's no right or wrong way to 
be on social media and to be spreading information. So I think just literally just throw as much information out there as you can and then get involved in every area of the internet, every location on the internet that we possibly can. Um, and then use what skills you have. That's a big thing. That's a big deal. So I have some background in um, graphic design as a hobby. I always like to do that. And I also uh, performed doing musical theater and improv and uh, took some filmmaking classes. So that's why I have some skills that uh, I can kind of translate and use and that into YouTube and into my other um, areas that I am active in. But if someone, let's say, is a writer, then they should write a blog. And if someone's a photographer, maybe uh, put some photos on Instagram to spread awareness. And I think that everybody has unique sets of skills and you should really utilize your skill in, um, in just getting out there and, and raising awareness and educating. Mm -hmm. Very cool. I've, I'm just impressed at all the things that you've been uh, able to explore and accomplish in the different areas, you know, that you've reached out into building inroads with working, you know, genetics into uh, just, you know, general audience, people out on the street. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Was there anything else that um, we didn't get to that you feel is important for the genetic counselors who are either already involved in social media or thinking about getting involved? Any other things you wanted to let them know? Um, yeah, I think that it's, I think it's really going to be important for a lot of us to be on Twitter because Twitter is one of the platforms where a lot of scientists and medical professionals are on. And the more genetic counselors that are on there, the higher the, well, the, the larger the numbers will be and the more followers we each of our us as genetic counselors will have which means more influence so i think that just by making an account on twitter and and also these other social media websites and then following your fellow genetic counselors um that will help because when somebody's a big social media influencer it's because they have a lot of followers and the way to help our profession is to help give more genetic counselors more followers if that makes sense that does make sense, and I, I think that's a, a good perspective, um, you know, to remember is it is a tool that, that, that we can utilize for good, but um, we have to, to keep that in mind and also, like you said, get involved and help direct those conversations. Right, right, exactly. Dina's YouTube channel is now live. Find her by searching Dina DNA. Well, that concludes our inaugural episode of the NSTC podcast series. Thank you for tuning in to learn all about how important it is for us as genetic counselors to be active on social media. Are you interested in getting your social media presence started? Maybe you don't know how or where to start? NSTC members can head online to www.nstc.org forward slash podcast to download the official NSGC social media startup guide. Have an idea for an episode? Visit us online at www.nsgc.org forward slash podcast to submit your idea today. This recording is a product of the National Society of Genetic Counselors. I'm your host, Kalita Leopold. We'll see you next time.